You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Pop culture, discussions about pop culture, ranking and rating treasured pieces of that fair culture against each other. He does what he does very well. And like I said, he's he's a he's like a rock star, you know? He's eccentric. What is so funny? What I just didn't like? know he talks a lot the about The devil came out. I didn't know he was looking for a soul to steal. He had trouble in mind. He's joking a line. He was looking to make a deal. Television. He had a brand new Nissan truck convertible with a portable phone. He had a Kenwood deck that was bumping loud as he stopped in the no parking zone. The devil stepped out with the people on the step. Welcome to another episode of Tigers. That's what we Spooky is over every single Halloween. Your final word. Cliche. But if you enjoy the opener, by the way, that was... An old classic. That was a. Uh, I don't know, Chris. I don't know when you first heard that song, but ninety six point three used to play a lot of rap back in the day. So I don't know. Do you remember oh, that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. That was the station we listened to when I was kids. It was it was ninety six point three, ninety five point five. Yeah. Power ninety six. Or no, 90, 99.5. Yeah. It the was Fox. Uh, the Fox. Yeah. Um, not, yeah. Ninety five point. Yeah. Good call there. And then I'm trying to remember. One of them, I think, the the Fox was gone, and then ninety six point three went. Alternative in like 1994, but up until that point, they were you know it was you know a bunch of rap, especially at night, and yeah, so songs like that, these weird sort of forgotten rap songs that were one hit sort of wonders, uh, but yeah, the devil comes came up to Michigan. Yeah, Bo the Jammer, who is now on 104.3, I think it's the same guy. Bo the Jammer he used to do Bo Bo the Jammer, Lisa Lisa. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, Michael Fox, Michael J. Fox on. Uh, ninety nine point five, the Fox was the always what I always found ironic, but yeah, um, yeah that that those I mean it was nice. I recorded a lot of stuff at ninety six point three late at night too, and that's how I found out about the Miami sound because they played a oh, lot yeah, of that. Be yeah, they played tons a lot of, of that. Uh, oh shoot, I forgot their name, but like the Poison Ivy song and like uh, oh. Give Me Them Guts, yeah, <laughs> and then B stands for Broncos BMW bass. Dude, I haven't heard uh, that song in years, man. What was the name of that? Was that Trouble You? I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about though. Yeah, it's a very strange, uh, <laughs> very strange time for music. You know, it's it's interesting that new uh, Jonah Hill movie called Mid Nineties. I want to see that really bad. You know, Perry saw it last night, and I haven't talked to him about it, but I, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of right up our our alley. Yeah, but, I enjoyed the Spotify list quite a bit. I, I sent that over to you, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's right. You're the one who told me about. it. I had yeah. no idea about that movie. So there you go. That's yeah. one of those weird things that uh, I didn't even realize to source that. But uh, yeah, and he, yeah, it might be kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, especially because during the audio part of it, he also talks on the Spotify list about the influences on that. So, uh, yeah. but uh, so coming up tonight on the podcast, we're going to have Boston Sports on Tap. We're going to have Michael Travers, who's going to join us talking Red Sox World Series, kind of Dave Dombrowski's legacy there. Kind of want to get his opinion about it. Chris has an idea to save baseball, so we'll get to we'll get to that. Uh, we'll recap the Arizona Fall League and some of the Tigers. We uh, we give the salute and we wave them goodbye. So, but yeah, there's in terms of baseball, the, the base free agency stuff like that is coming now, coming up here as well. So it keeps baseball fully in the twenty four hour, seven days a week cycle a little bit. So. It, it it's kind of evolving like the NFL, whereas and the NFL has been able to keep themselves in the news. And I think I think baseball is heading the same way, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think they'd like to, and it really it's something that you might not really notice uh, just if you're not a hardcore fan. I, I don't think NFL hardcore NFL fans are really 
you know, paying attention to what's going on in like June. Um, with non-hardcore fans, I mean, but uh, for those people who are more interested, yeah, it's, it's you know a hot stove season. It's it's baseball really kind of gets quiet in like January, but there's still interesting stuff in November and December with the Rule Five and all that stuff. Yeah, and by the way, uh, a sad day for Giants fans is Willie McCovey passed away today. Oh wow, I didn't see that. Yeah, he died today of oh. at, eight, at eighty. So uh, if you're familiar, one of the best sluggers. Yeah. To put on the Giants uniform. Uh, he was the 1969 MVP. So he's Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, actually, you know what? Yeah, he was. He was first uh, ballot in 1986, I believe it was. Yeah. So that's a bummer. Losing another Hall of Famer. Yeah. And so at least uh, he made it to one last World Series and got to see the hated Dodgers lose. Good yeah, for him. Yeah. That was his uh, final legacy. He's kind of giving the finger to the Dodgers fans. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we'll get, we'll talk a little World Series with uh, Mike here shortly, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the the, the departures for the Tigers, as Tigers, uh, Artie Lewicki, Lewis Coleman, Jim Aducci, and Pete Colesman, and Harold Castro were placed on mm-hmm. waivers, and Lewicki was claimed uh, by Dimax, which caught me as a surprise a little bit. I know Mark gave me some grief about well Artie Lewicki, but I I actually liked Artie Lewicki out of the bullpen, and it gave some. It was an interesting. Interesting in terms of what he was able to has his makeup and he didn't put too bad of numbers either. If all the guys who they were able to bring up this year at some point from Toledo, he wasn't bad. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think with Lewicki, it's uh, like you said, he he kind of proved to be a viable middle reliever this year in his limited time. Um, and it, it's not one of those things that like stings to lose him but he you know he looked like an, an a useful piece uh the the issue is you know obviously he's going to be out for a year or season so do the tigers really feel like they needed to hold on to him i mean maybe they wanted to and they thought they could sneak him through waivers and it didn't work but you know the odds of somebody with similar talent and similar ability being there for them for nothing in another year are pretty high so you know, and who knows? We may end up back in the system in another two years or so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, and when when you think about it that way, uh, absolutely. And so, but that kind of really leads into probably, or let's parlay that into the Arizona Fall League, which is, I mean, you see some guys who maybe who can fill the void, maybe like Sandy Baez or Gregory Soto. Ah, no, it's just kidding about Gregory Soto. Uh, it seems like well, he, he actually he was the he was the pitcher of the week last week. Yeah. In the AFL, yeah, he's out. Uh, he, he got better. I mean, but his uh, he, at first he was starting off with kind of a lot of walks. But what was it, the was it four? Is it yeah? Like... His first first two outings were pretty rough. He had a good one. What was his his third outing? Five innings, two hits, one walk, five strikeouts. And then his next start was four two thirds innings, six hits, three on runs, two walks with six strikeouts. So, I mean, he's he's been okay. Yeah, and Baez is the one who, who had really. Struggled. His ERA is still up over eleven through seven innings, nine earned runs, nine strikeouts. Well, the arm that it maybe could, could come up and perhaps fill Luigi's spot is uh, Eduardo Jimenez, who has had a really good fall league so far. Yeah, no, his numbers look great, and he's a uh, and he's a guy that that James Chipman at Tigestown has always maintained. You know, has a, you know nasty stuff, an upper nineties fastball, a plus breaking ball, and. Uh, it was weird because he, his numbers in Lakeland this year just weren't all that good. He was giving up a lot of hits, 
and I think it was, you know, strike out an inning, but nothing crazy. So maybe, uh, maybe they've, I think I saw Emily Walden post that, the, that Jorge Cordova has been working with him to, you know, with his stride. So maybe there's been a little bit of progress there, but it's always been a good arm and it's nice to see some, uh, solid numbers against this, this level of competition. And I guess on the opposite end of the spectrum is John Schreiber, who's been getting hit around a lot. And I don't know, it's just one of those things that, that I always want to caution in both directions for good numbers and bad numbers in the Arizona Fall League. It's such a small sample. It's at the end of the year. A lot of these guys are exhausted. Uh, and it, you really, it's, it's tough to even uh, rely on scouting reports sometimes at this point because the guys are so you know tired. It's such a, such a, a small look. But, you know, you do with uh, you do what you can with the info you have, and uh, I, I would say that I'm I'm pleased with what Eduardo Jimenez is doing. And you know, the thing is too about the Arizona Fall League, comparatively speaking to the Dominican League in terms of the Dominican Ball Winter League, Chris. What is the level of competition? I mean, I know with the Dominican League, you see a mixture of Double uh, A AA and Triple A talent, even some Major League talent. I mean, Daniel Norris is uh, doing pretty well down there. 1.4 ERA in three starts, and he's got 12 strikeouts in 14 innings, just four walks. Uh, Victor Reyes is off to a good start, too. So what is the difference in terms of competition level? Is there any difference at all? Yeah, you know, I, I think the general consensus is that uh, the Arizona Fall League is about equivalent to AA. And with leagues like the Dominican and the Venezuelan League, those are kind of – it's kind of like a weird rolling scale because a lot of times, like you said, you know, the, the, there will be – Guys from all sorts, all levels of the minors participating, even you know, like a ball. And sometimes that happens earlier, but then as, as the Dominican season goes along, you'll see more of these veterans, and they really just kind of get rid of guys who aren't performing, and and you end up with a lot of, you know, thirty-year-olds or older, like you said, former major league veterans uh, down there playing, and it's probably more like AAA by the end of the season. So it's a slightly higher, I think, different kind of baseball i mean it's not all prospects so and then that kind of leads into a prospect that we've talked about a couple times during the regular season and that's the curious case of Danny woodrow who has been getting a lot of reviews on twitter it seems like he's the new apple and tiger fans eyes apparently and, and across some chat boards and everybody's getting excited about him but chris i mean as you being our prospect expert here woodrow and we've we talked about how well woodrow had he had a Quietly a good year in Erie, and he hasn't been really spoken about, but it almost falls like he's in that kind of four, four, or was it the four A player category? At least in my opinion, so far. But Chris, what is what about what about Dane Woodrow that would stand out, or where does he stand as a prospect? Yeah, you know, we've seen you know, Dan Hasty has been uh, you know tweeting out stories about prospects, and that's it's nice, and I've been retweeting them because they're cool little things. And you know, Emily mentioned that the Tigers were pleased with. Uh, with Woodrow, but you know he is an interesting case because he's a 12th round pick outfielder he's got some ability you know he nearly won the batting title you know hitting for the most average in the eastern league this year he's got some speed he's got some defensive versatility but the, the big thing with him is that there just isn't power there i think his his iso this year was 0. 0.082 which is you know anything under one is kind of uh not <laughs> not good. Uh, there were only two regular outfielders in the major leagues this year with, with ISOs lower than Woodrow's was at double A. Uh, and that was D Gordon and John Jay. Um, and those guys put up like zero war and point 
2.8 war, respectively. Now, um, you can theoretically be a productive player if you get that ISO up just a little bit. Like Lorenzo Cain was like a 6-1 player this year with a, with a .11 ISO. You know, he had ten, only 10 homers. He hit 300, he walked a ton, he played elite defense, and he stole 30 bases. Like That's the sort of thing that you would need to get from Woodrow to make him a good quality player. Um, is it in there? I, I really don't think the power's in there. We've, we've seen him. We went and saw him live last year, and I thought he was like 14. He was so skinny. Um, he's a left-handed bat. Like I said, he's got speed. He'd, I think he just kind of fits into that tweener role where he's he's good enough to play center field defense in the minors, but I don't think you're going to play him there ahead of someone like Daz Cameron, who's also playing really well in the Arizona Fall League. Um, and he's never going to hit for a ton of power. So maybe maybe it works out where he's a fifth outfielder. I mean, once you get past, if you're, if you're not a starting outfielder, the Tigers, we've talked about this before, they've got like a dozen guys who are that fourth, fifth outfield mold. So it's just, it's hard to figure where he's going to play over or who he's going to play over. I did look at, in, you know, Fangraphs has that, or they used, at least they used to have that Cato projection system, which kind of was an attempt to identify players based on their production in the minors who might end up putting up some value in the majors. And this is in 2017, and they did identify Woodrow as a guy who could, you know, that their estimate was that he would put up 2.8 war. And if the Tigers end up getting 2.8 war, and I, I assume this is total uh, from a 12th round pick, that's still a win. But again, I just don't know who he's going to play over. So it's a it's a fun story, but it's not a profile that is really going to work. I think it, it, at the uh, higher levels, unless he finds some more power, which I don't see coming. But you never know. They, they always say it's the last tool to show up. And, you know, and Chris, and if we look at the Tigers' draft history in terms of late-round picks, in terms of even just getting value beyond the 12th or beyond the 10th round, I mean, the first 10 picks really are the most valuable ones in terms of what you see for prospects. Yeah. But it, it has been – I can't think of anything off the top of my head that has been – in terms of getting that kind of value at a – about like a two, like even a one war. I mean, if we're talking like two war here, I, I'm trying to think off the just randomly off the top of my head. I think, and I want to say Curtis Granderson. I think Matt Joyce was like a 12th rounder. Was Matt Joyce a 12th rounder? I think he was uh, uh, something like that. You know, Gerber was a 15th rounder. Let's see, I'm looking up Matt Joyce. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's 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 really rare. Uh, yeah, twelfth rounder in two thousand five, Matt Joyce. Yeah, Curtis Granderson was a third uh, uh, third rounder. For some strange reason, I thought he was lower in the draft. For for whatever reason, I thought he was lower in the draft. But, but. yeah, um, no, it's 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 rare for any team to find uh, value after the tenth round. Uh, it's it's just you know it, it's kind of one of those uh, luck things. It used to be a little bit different when they could do draft and follow. You know, they they draft a guy and watch him play summer ball or whatever, and then sign him. But that's not really an option anymore. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you get anything from guys after that, after the 10th round, it's kind of a bonus. Now, the, the, the good teams will occasionally find more guys like that. You know, we, the Astros had Josh James pitching in the World Series this year. I think he was a 35th rounder. Um, and for a while there, the Cardinals seemed like they were just finding guys all throughout the, the teens and 20s and 30s, like... Uh, Matt, what's the other Matt? He's a big, big chunky boy. What's his name? Matt. He was playing Matt Adams. 
You know the funny. You know the funny thing is that the closest tiger that, or not even. A, you know, it's funny. He's not even. He wasn't even a tiger when it happened. That got some value in the late rounds was, you know, as ironically enough, and we forgot about him. Was Joyce? Was was actually two of them actually in the same draft? Joel Samaya was a war, okay. Yeah, four point two. And that's what two thousand two, two thousand one. Yeah, yeah two thousand one, two thousand two, and then Jesse Carlson, who was oh. with the, yeah, who was with the Jays for a minute. Yeah. So I, 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 I Zamaya, I, I, I could, I, I wasn't. It was turning to position players. That I, honestly, I can't think of a, a position player. But I remember I couldn't. I was thinking about pitcher. I started thinking about pitchers a little bit. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I think the Tigers got some sort of value in pitching, but I wasn't sure about in terms of uh, position players. Yeah, I'm going through and looking. I, I don't, I don't recall. Chad Green was an 11th rounder, but of course, uh, yeah. off to the Yankees where he's done all his damage. Devin Travis, 13th rounder, again traded. <laughs> um, Oops. Kirk Casale was a 10th rounder. He was traded for Kyle Lobstein. Yeah, it was part of that uh, deal, Tampa deal. Yeah. Hey, Kyle Ryan put up 1.4 WAR and in, in out of the 12th round. Oh, there you go. So there's, there's some you know random people. Adam Wilk was an 11th rounder. Some of the, the, the some of the drafts in the 2000s were just. God awful. I mean, you're looking at it, and it's just like I'm trying to mm-hmm. trying to see something before we get the Michael here from uh, Boston on tap, and I can't. No, I can't. I can't find. I can't find anything, dude. I I, I don't know about you, man, but I, I it's nothing. Yeah. No, like I said, it, it's pretty rare. Oh, Casper Wells in the 14th round, same year as Joyce, and same oh, Burke Badenhop in the 19th round. Oh, but, oh yeah, but that he also did more damage elsewhere. Yeah, no, it's uh, but. Like I said, it's it's rare to find anybody in the later rounds, and Ooh. really, you know, what J- makes a draft good is is if you nail the first rounder, and if you get another, you get another average major leaguer. That's a hell of a draft. So Jason Frazier, nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> He's another guy who ended up on the Blue Jays, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, thirty third round, thirty third round. Yeah, so, so you sometimes you just get lucky. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's uh, we'll take a break. We'll bring Michael on. We'll talk a little bit of Boston Red Sox baseball as they are. World Series champions, are they one of the best teams of all time? Um, honestly, if you look at the road of the World Series, it's actually a pretty impressive one, overall yeah. record and all. So uh, we'll take a break. You're listening to Tigers SRD on SportsRealDetroit.com. Do you love pop culture? Discussions about pop culture? Ranking and rating treasured pieces of that shared culture against each other? I, ju- I mean, I do think Flea's a good bass player. He does what he does very well. And like I said, he's he's a he's like a rock star, you know. He's eccentric. What is so funny? What I just didn't like? know he talked so long about flea. I, I didn't know anybody had I mean, so many just, feelings. I do. So I, many I feelings. Got feelings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Music, movies, television, food, sports, pro wrestling. We are the determination of what is over or underrated across all fields of greater cultural consumption. Subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, or visit us at SportsRadioDetroit.com. Over under fair. Your final word in pop culture relevance. All right, welcome back to Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. I'm pleased to have a guest we haven't had on uh, from Boston Sports Tap, a uh, site that we've been doing some partnership work with our, our friends over at Statement Games. So go to StatementGames.com and make your statement as the Pistons and Celtics had a match last night and uh, the Pistons, for whatever reason, Blake Griffin pulled a... I don't know what Blake Griffin was thinking, but either way, nevertheless, I digress. And Michael Travers... Who you can find him at Traver M Travers B S O T on Twitter. 
uh, the creator found as a f- creator founder co-host. He does it all on bostonsportstap.com. Michael, welcome in, and thanks for joining us this evening. Thanks, guys. That's uh, quite an intro you got there for me. That was, uh, you know, maybe a little overstated, but I, I do appreciate that. But what's going on, boys? Well, you know, I know in, in Boston's the title town again. The Red Sox doing what they had to do, and it was a. I, admittedly, I picked the Dodgers because I thought the. In terms of the bullpen, we look. We talked about this before the World Series, and Dave Dombrowski, and who that's, that's what we want to talk about this evening about Dave Dombrowski building the ball club. But in terms of bullpen advantages, I thought that the Dodgers had it, and I thought even going in the into the playoffs, Boston was going to be set back by the shortcomings of that because I thought Dave Dombrowski did not do enough to address it. But I was dead wrong, and admittedly so. But it was the offense that carried it. But Michael, there's so many unsung heroes on this team, but let's start with let's start with the bullpen and let's start with guys like Joe Kelly. And what what was to you the difference in the World Series with these with some of the, I, I think to me at least in my opinion some of the unsung heroes there. Truthfully, I think that you know with especially with Kelly, you saw him just come out and he was just throwing strikes. He was pound, pounding the strike zone constantly. Um, you know, it felt like every batter was down 0-2 on two pitches. You know, a blink of an eye, and, and he and he's and he's got these hitters in a hole. And it, when it relates to Dombrowski, I think he got a little bit lucky with the you know with with Joe Kelly and maybe even Ryan Brazier a little bit. And uh, you know, they kind of turned it around and and you know started. I mean, Kelly was outstanding. I don't think there's any other word other than outstanding you can use for him. And and uh, but nobody saw it coming. You're right. The shortcomings in the bullpen. And and if if people didn't watch the Red Sox all season, because I mean, why would you spend 162 games on a team you don't like? But <laughs> the bullpen was bad. Pretty much, pretty much all season, with the exception of Kimbrel, who was actually bad in the postseason. But you know, it, it was it was just it, it was a crazy crazy postseason for the bullpen. Because nobody expected it. Even on Boston Sports on Tap, we were we were hating on the bullpen, and and we, you know, we were down on the team, and and and, I mean, to everybody's delight, it it, it worked out for the best. Yeah, to me, Kelly is kind of a a shining example of why teams never give up on guys who can throw that hard, because you never know when they might figure something out. Like, and I, I don't know if it was, I don't remember his breaking ball being as effective as it seemed to be in the playoffs, and I don't even know if it was that effective during the season. But it seemed like you said he would get ahead of guys and then you throw a 98-99 and then suddenly break one off and they couldn't do anything with it. Yeah, no, it wasn't that good. Also. There was a point during the season where I think his ERA was over eight. Like he, <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't have it all season. And then it was like – it's almost like you know how guys uh, like David Price and, and guys like that where the, the lights get brighter and all of a sudden they kind of you know turtle up a little bit? It almost seemed like Joe Kelly was the opposite. You know, he the the lights got bright and all of a sudden he's, you know, lights out. It was it was it was kind of nice to see, you know, so it is what it is, I guess. But uh, it's just pounding the strike zone. That was that was the big thing for him. Yeah. One of the strange things for me, and, and I don't know, it's having not being in the Boston market, it, it not not to mention Boston market, um, <laughs> but uh, that, that uh, it, it seems like for a team that won, what, 108 games, 107 yep. games, 100 games. Like there wasn't this national story about it being the juggernaut that it ended up being, you know. They just rolled through the playoffs. It, it, I, every time somebody talked about the playoffs, people still talked about the Astros being the best team or the Yankees having a real shot to beat Boston. And then suddenly, they win 108 games and roll through the playoffs. And you're like, well, wait a minute, is this one of the best teams of all time? 
Yeah, it's crazy. The, the stat that, that gets thrown around, I mean, here anyway, is is that the teams that they face in the playoffs had 295 wins in the regular season. And they only had three wins against the Red Sox, you know, come the postseason. Yeah. And, and they almost made it look easy. And it's not supposed to be that easy. It's not supposed to look that easy. But, you know, they I mean, they were outstanding. That's that, it's it's crazy all the way through the offense and the offense was good. The bullpen was good. The starting pitching was was pretty good. And, and you know, it was I mean, even, even here, we didn't really have too much faith. We were talking about the Astros. We were talking about how good the Yankees bullpen was. And and uh, I mean, they just they made us all look stupid kind of. So <laughs> but it's a it's it's a good thing for us, I guess. And a, and a guy like Ryan Brazier, who who's kicking around for a while, he was in, I believe it was in Japan. Chris, I think he was in Japan. I think, yeah, I, 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 I don't remember. His road here was an interesting one. And, again, he his numbers indicate, you know, you look at his numbers overall for October. He, he had five walks, but still he seemed when he had to make some clutch pitches, he did. And and to me, I, I, think, I thought his performance stood out a little bit. I mean, despite... You could say, even in the win, like a couple times, or the his first appearance against the Dodgers didn't do for well. However, still he still held the zone, and he wasn't overpowering, but he it just seemed like he he got the he got the job done. And essentially, I thought he was a difference maker in the series. He was one of the guys that that pretty much all season he kind of filled that role, where he wasn't overly flashy, but he always seemed to get the job done. So I mean that that. It was it was nice to see it carry in and and you thought that maybe the the lights were going to be a little too bright for him when the you know that first game against the Dodgers but he he figured it out and I think he was he was a big piece too um, him Matt Barnes Joe Kelly Nathan Avaldi they were all huge um, coming out of the bullpen yeah you know I remember a game the Tigers played Boston relatively late in the season I don't know if it was August or, or something and I remember seeing Brazier come in and I'm like look at this guy who the hell is, you know, where is Dabrowski getting these clowns. Because it's like, I've never heard of this guy in my life. He's 30 or whatever. And then suddenly he's just, you know, throwing upper 90s and snapping off breaking balls. I'm like, what? And it's one of those things where, you know, you always say relievers can just come from anywhere sometimes. And, and for Tigers fans, it's just super frustrating because that never happened to them when Dabrowski was here. The relievers just disappeared when he when they got here. Yeah, I, I like I said, I think he got lucky. He got, he, you know, Brazier was a good find. And I think he was with the Angels originally. And then he you know definitely took the road less traveled and came from japan but he was he was he was solid for the team and it was actually a real good find and in you know typical dave dombrowski fashion he he made it seem like it was uh you know he's said something to the effect of if you put anyone else's name on his back you'd be pumped for the stuff that this guy has and that's kind of the what i think dombrowski is is he kind of like toots his own horn in his own way you know what i mean and 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 it was an interesting quote from him well you know i'm kind of curious uh how much credit he's Dabrowski is getting for this uh, there in Boston? Um, not a ton. I don't. I mean, I, I personally don't give him a ton of credit because I think he's lucked out, and I think Alex Cora deserves a a boatload of the credit for for the job that he did this season. I mean, Dombrowski, he did a good. He, he's done a good job of putting out a, a good team on the field, a good product. He's made some. You know, he's he's acquired some big names in typical Dombrowski fashion and, and it worked out for him this year. So I guess you give him a little bit, but I think that it's, it's Alex core. That's really getting the credit and he's really the one that everybody's getting behind. Uh, yeah. Cause it seems like there's like a, two sides of this. When, when I look, 
so Dubrowski traded for Sale, traded for Kimbrell, signed Price and, and JD, and then the, the the trades, the small trades at the deadline, couldn't have worked out much better with like Pierce and Evaldi. Um, yeah, but the, but like you say with, with Cora, like something changed in Mookie Betts this year, and what in Bogarts too, right? There were some swing changes, and suddenly these guys are hitting hitting much better. Um, and it's like, is that Cora? Is that something else? I, I don't. Think I it's think. Dubrowski. I, it's not. It's not Dombrowski. I. It, I mean, I guess sort of in a way because I think it's partly Cora, and I think that the whole atmosphere that was in that clubhouse last year. Now, I didn't think it was going to be a big deal moving on from John Farrell to get Alex Cora, and I was extremely wrong because it, you could see it right from the jump. This team, they all believed in each other, and they all, you know, they. they it, as corny and cliche as it is, they were, you know, they were a family. And and you could see it right from this right from spring training they were all believing in each other getting each other's back but another another reason for the swinging for the swings and the years that that Betts and Bogarts Bogarts had I think it was um, J D Martinez the way mm-hmm. he approaches the game and the way that he you know studies film and I I don't know if they made too much of a big deal out of it in the World Series but it, pretty much all year you heard about the way that he you know watch film and every at bat that he took every swing that he took was always filmed like on an iPad or whatever and and he reviewed pretty much every single swing so i think that approach helped turn bets's season around this year and and same with bogarts and which you know he signed dombrowski i mean dombrowski signed martinez so i guess yeah in a weird you know kind of way it's he gets some credit for that yeah i i but you know there's still there were some guys there in that that organization, you know, Betts and Benatendi and Devers and Bogarts. Those guys were all there. Oh yeah, um, yep. so that certainly that certainly helps. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but and yeah, the, tra- the trades for like Sale and Kimbrel, the signing of Price, the signing of of uh, JD Martinez, like you make those in your sleep. I have zero experience running a baseball team aside from when I play MLB the Show, and I could have made those trades. Like those are no brainers. <laughs> you, you know, know what I mean? It does seem that way, but but the way baseball is now with this sort of pearl clutching of prospects, it, it does seem like he he's one of the last GMs who will just go out there and say, "Screw it, I'm giving you you know two top ten prospects for this ace." I, I mean, it yeah, does I, seem obvious, I, but there, you don't see it happen as much. In, in I love everything about the way he conducts his business, and and one of my big things, pretty much since I started doing Boston Sports on Tap and the podcast and everything, is you're the Boston Red Sox. You are arguably the second biggest, besides maybe the Yankees organization. You have everybody is supporting you. You have all the money in the world. Go out, sign your guys, and you know I, I know you have to have homegrown guys. That's why you have your bets and your Ben attendees and your Bogarts. But then you can go out and you can sign the big names like David Price and and JD Martinez, and you can trade. For Chris Sale, so I, I think like I I love the way he does it, which I'm in the minority I think when it comes to that, and the way that the league's trending. But I always say you're the Red Sox. You can you can sign the 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 dollar value. Who cares? You're the Red Sox. You can do it. And it's and it's interesting too. You bring that up, Michael, because growing up, you saw the Red Sox have almost the, the core of every Red Sox team was built on prospects. You look at the White Evans, the Jim Rice, the Way Boggs for a while, and then Nomar Garcia Parra, and, and and all these guys they seem to have that were when I when I always think of those Red Sox teams in the nineties, I always talk, I always think about the guys they had that were their own, and I, I know baseball's changed quite a bit, and payrolls are obviously inflated much more, 
But I, I think that that change of philosophy has definitely benefited the Red Sox the last 18 to 20 years. And, and you know, you always hear, like, from Detroit that Dave Dombrowski was handicapped on trading all the prospects away. And we, and we laughed about that because he left us with one of the worst trades of all time in trading Suarez Cincinnati. And I still get, you know, I, I don't swear very often, but I still get <laughs> fucking pissed every time I think about he traded for a fat fuck pitcher who went to Mexico and almost killed somebody. I digress. <laughs> I stop. My point is, though, is that it seemed like, in this case, it, it seemed maybe the, the powers that be handicapped Dombrowski in that sense, or or is that just more like just rumors and speculation on that part? I mean, as far as as far as what he's done to the organization, he has depleted the farm system, and and I know he did that in Detroit too. And I don't know, you know, what Detroit, what they do with their spending, if they, you know want to be at the top of the at the top of the league it seems like they were for a while when you had Verlander and Scherzer and and those kind of guys and then it, and Victor Martinez and Miguel Cabrera and you it seems like it was just star after star after star and then they kind of backed off a little bit once they you know those guys got a little bit older but here the payroll is never really an issue like they they management seems to like to be you know right at that luxury tax if you, they don't want to go over very often but I think that depleting the farm system here, yes, he's done it, but I think that this organization can recover. And I think that there's there's enough young talent. That's another thing that, that isn't really looked at is when he took over, Betts was still a prospect. Benatendi was still a prospect. Bradley Jr. was still a prospect. Bogarts was still a prospect. Those were your big-name guys that went to the next level, and that also helped to deplete quote unquote deplete your farm system because they made the jump into the big leagues. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that that's part of the narrative as well. Yeah. And when you win it all, who gives a shit? Um, <laughs> that's like, a good point. That's a very, that's a very, very <laughs> like, good point. Obviously you, you want to sit up. You, everybody wants to be in this dynasty where you win like 10 world series in a row, but you know, getting it's one is there. awfully hard and, and people should be super happy about that. Uh, you know, I don't it, know it's crazy you say that because the feeling the Cubs, around think, here, you know, the... the feeling around here is kind of like, oh, it's just another championship, and it, 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 it's it's <laughs> it's crazy. And I know that sounds arrogant, and I don't mean yeah. it to, but that's kind of the feeling. It's like, you know, oh well, yeah, they should have won. Look at look at look at they traded all they traded everybody away. They should win a championship, and it's like, oh, thanks, Patriots. Like, <laughs> you know, Belichick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, in, in oh, I was just gonna say. Uh, it, that does kind of lead to like the the way forward, though. From now, I don't know if you have thought about that at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're still primed to to compete for for a few years here. You still have bets. You still have Bogarts for a couple of years. You have Benatendi. You have Price, who you know decided to opt in. Which I'm a huge David Price fan, and I always I should have started by saying that because everybody probably would have you know turned off turned off the podcast and not listened <laughs> to what I had to say, but. Um, I'm a huge David Price fan. I always have been, and and I'm actually pumped that he opted in. And you got Sale for another few years, and I think that you know they're, they're I think they're still primed here with their core still being young and still locked up. That they could, they could. I'm not going to say that they're going to win the championship every single year because that's you know extremely hard to do. But I think they're going to compete, and I think they're going to be, you know, similar to the Astros where they're always in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I'm curious. Do you think they're going to re-sign Kimbrel, or uh, if not, what they're going to do at the back of the bullpen? You know, I, I hope not, 
because as much as I like David Price, I dislike Craig Kimbrell. And I think that I don't like his whole persona, like the whole, you know, eagle arm thing. Like it's yeah. it's just such a it's a little much for me personally. And um, I think that when when, you know, when the lights shine the brightest, he seems to he seems to tense up. And I think that showed in the postseason, pretty much all postseason, you were never comfortable as at least I was never comfortable as a Red Sox fan, you know, against the Yankees, against the the Dodgers, against the Astros. I was never comfortable when he uh, when he came into the game, if it was a one or two run lead and you saw it against the Astros, he almost blew back to back games. So I hope not. And and the back end of the bullpen, I would have a conversation with Evaldi, see if he has any interest in in, in being a closer. Um, I know he's gonna that would be less money for him, and he's still a young ish guy. But I think he proved, you know, that he can handle it. And I think that that would be a conversation that I would like to have. And then there's you know there's tons of arms that are available now. You've got Andrew Miller's available, Zach Britton's available. You can you can figure something out and and especially with uh you know Deal and Dave, he will he's not afraid to sign a a big name free agent. So he'll throw some money at somebody and hopefully they get someone else other than Kimbrel. Bring up Darwinson. Yeah. <laughs> the uh it's what's interesting too you talk about Jonathan Papalon comes to mind as annoying closer to because Papalon doing that that weird thing he did in the look at like I, I felt like he was always staring in the camera and his demeanor too on the mound I hate it it drove me nuts yeah but but at least he got the ball and he threw it you know like that's he true. yeah he had a lot of stuff going on and he was he's just a psychopath like that, that's that's I mean but Kimbrel with his you know the red beard and the whole yeah you know, it's just like uh, it's just it's 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 a little much with the the eagle the I don't even know what you call it but the the arm and it's like you're wasting a lot of energy holding that arm up pal like let's 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 focus on throwing some strikes here no i mean it's refreshing to hear you say that because these are the feelings that i always have i'm like look at this guy yeah yeah, Um, that's how i feel every time and then you know it's funny i went to a game not this past season i I went to a couple games this past season but the season before that they play an 11 o'clock game um the day of the boston marathon yep yep on patriots day and um I sat there's a there's like seats just behind the bullpen and I sat in the first row right behind the bullpen and you saw him warming up and like I always chirped him you know when I'm watching from my house where he can't hear me and I had the chance <laughs> to chirp him right there he threw one fastball and I was like oh nope <laughs> nope yeah I'm not gonna say anything because the dude does he brings it I mean he does throw the ball hard but it's just all the extra stuff like eh, not for me yeah I, I'm yeah, not, I don't I, care for you either it seems like cl- closers have a tendency to you know, they're just because they're pitching in the most important times, and and they have quirky personalities. They have a tendency to get on fans' nerves. I remember people getting uh, hating Todd Jones here, and then hating Jose Valverde, and then hating Joe Nathan, and then hating Francisco Rodriguez. Like there hasn't been a beloved closer here ever. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a closer thing in general. They're just yeah. they're all kind of crazy, and except think, except for Mariano Rivera, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because he's he probably just... not a big fan of him in Boston, I assume. But no, I, you know. It, I don't. I mean, I'm obviously not a, not a fan of the Yankees by any yeah. you know any stretch of the word or matter or anything like that. But you can respect you can respect players. Like I respect the hell yeah. out of Derek Jeter. I respect the hell out of Mariano Rivera because yes, I love the Red Sox, obviously, but I'm a fan of the game too. So you know, like that sometimes that can outweigh your love of of the, whatever team you're rooting for. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, in in, in terms of closer, the last time I think the Tigers had a closer that. 
Uh, you know, it's funny. Even the guy who won the world's uh, MVP, Seattle Young Award winner in 1984, Willie Hernandez, even after that, as a kid, I remember fans were always on him because he wasn't the same guy that they got in 84. And they got him on a trade from Philly, and no one ever seen him before in the American League. So kind of gave him advantage. And as the years went by, I mean, he had a couple all-star appearances. But I, I always come to mind. But, yeah, Chris, I can't think of a Tiger closer that, no, I mean Mike. He, Mike Hanneman. Mike Hanneman was just out there and looked like he just did not give a fuck, and and he didn't. So it, it was clearly going back to recollection days. I reg- Mike regress. Hanneman. Mike Hanneman. Yeah, we're going. We're going back three decades yeah, at this we, point. Yeah, we are. And, and most of our Tiger fans were twenty five and under. Who? So, um, but uh, getting back to you, talk about respect. I got to give a lot of props, and you you mentioned it a little earlier about Alex Cora as a manager, and he used the entire roster. And this is the fifth rookie manager to ever win the World Series. And he was able to. This is a, a it's a, a roster that's full of young and also some veterans. And he told scored sixteen runs and told everybody suck it, Yankee fans, which was awesome. And <laughs> I'm glad he, he can bring that too. And he has that fire. He has that demeanor about him. He's always been a battler, always been a competitor. But to handle a clubhouse like that, and you know, ESPN mentioned his salary, which is eight hundred thousand dollars a year, which I don't think really matters at this point for a rookie manager, but. Michael, his the way he handled the roster, the way he handled the bullpen, I think should – I mean, I know managers these days do not get the same accolades as they once did, but still, it takes a, a certain person to, to handle all those things going on, and you're a guy who's 42 years old who hasn't managed before, and we look at a, a parallel situation with Brad Ausmus where you feel like they didn't – he never really had the clubhouse the same way Alex Cora did. Yeah, I think he – I mean, since he – since day one, he kind of you almost felt like he commanded respect, and he's he's obviously a players a players manager, and I I, I honestly I feel like that the 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 team would go over to his house and have pasta dinners before big games, like like that's the kind of guy that he kind of seems like, you know, and and he like hang he probably hung out with him and maybe went out to a, you know for a couple of drinks after a game or something like that, and and his in game management it seemed like every single thing that he did in the postseason worked and i don't know if that's you know beginner's luck maybe a little bit or if it's just you know he went you know he has the respect of the guy so when nunez doesn't start the game but then he comes in in a big spot and he hits a three-run home run he he's kind of like he's he respects the manager he understands the decision and like the guys were always ready to go and one of the one of the bigger things i think that in when you think about it now it almost seems like it's an afterthought is the fact that they released Hanley Ramirez in the middle of the season, which yeah, I forgot about that. kind of shocked everybody. I feel like at the time and you know, this team can't hit, they have no power. What are they doing? Why is he doing this? And, and part of it, I think was Hanley Ramirez might've been a little bit of a wild card in the clubhouse. And Cora kind of saw that and kind of said, I don't really want a guy like this in my clubhouse. Like, you know, maybe he wasn't buying in and that's part of the reason why he was released and let go. So I think he has a good grasp on the personalities of the guys. He obviously understands the game being a former player and, and he kind of had to fight for everything he had as a player. And I think that's where you see the, the tenacity and, you know, the, the suck on it to the Yankees fans and, and stuff like that. Like that's kind of, you know, he's had to work for everything he's had to, he achieved as a player and now he's doing the same thing as a manager. And I think that, I think that the guys just respected the hell out of him, and I think that that's that's goes a long way when you're when you're, you know, managing uh, guys with a lot of personality and a lot of big name guys like Sale and Price and Martinez and K 
Kimbrel and all those guys. So I think, I mean, hats off to the job he did all season. Yeah, and it was kudos to him and, and congratulations to the Boston Red Sox. And really, the last thing I wanted to say was, and to kind of wrap it up, wrap it up a little bit, the Tigers 2014 Tiger World Series. I think the free press from over here said something along the lines of congratulations to the 2014 Tigers and. I thought that was kind of stupid because honestly, the 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 the, the Tigers who were on this <laughs> roster did make a difference, significant difference. I mean, Ian Kinsler had that boneheaded run. I mean, not boneheaded. His base running was a little suspect in the series a little bit, but still, the Dave Dabrowski Tiger influence connection. I just I I, I just want that to stop. Honestly, like it's just it's. I, 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 Michael, I don't know how it is over there. I'm sure that Detroit's the last thing on their mind when it comes to that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a narrative here that I'm sick of hearing about, Chris. I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I, I'm just I'm done with it. It's just it's it enough. I'm like, and Dave Dombrowski didn't get the job done here. Blah blah blah. That's also dumb because I, 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 I don't yeah. Know. I mean, it, it's it's all silly. I mean, when you, when it comes down to the playoffs, and Billy Bean has talked about this before. You know, it's really just kind of. A lot of times it's just up to chance or it's up to a, 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 you know, one of the things I consistently do on this show is, is talk about how I don't think managers make a, much of a difference, but in the playoffs, when their tactical decisions are huge, yeah, uh, seemed to always be ready with a counter move when he needed it. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, what is the Dodgers brought in Alex Wood. And so he pinch hit Nunez and he threw in Homer. It was like, he was always, he's never got caught off guard by anything. And I think that's a huge thing. And, Sometimes the playoffs, it just doesn't work out. Um, and, you know, Tigers fans should be grateful, I think, to Dave Dombrowski for basically a decade of of relevant, good baseball. Um, and it just didn't happen. And, and I don't know, they shouldn't be upset with Boston or or anything like that or joke about the, being the 2014 Tigers. The 2014 Tigers didn't have Mookie Betts. Um, they didn't <laughs> or have J- a 10-win player. They had J.D. Martinez, though, right? Yeah, they did. I it was it was a different JD Martinez then though, too. Yeah. You know, JD Martinez no, right. wasn't a three hundred right. hitter with forty home runs. He was uh I mean he was we saw flashes of that, but yeah, he's, he was he's just, really improved. He was just coming back from a revamp swing and everything, right? Yeah. You know the crazy thing about Dombrowski, real quick before before I uh, get out of here for you guys, but uh I looked it up earlier when, when I knew we were gonna start talking about him and I hadn't realized that he finished in first place in the division that he you know, his team was in. Like eight years in a row, with with wow. the exception of, with the exception of the year that he was released by the Tigers. But it was like the three years or four years before that he his team the Tigers finished in first, and then, you know, the Red Sox have finished in first obviously for the last three seasons. And I thought that was kind of a, a little bit of a testament to him and how he puts together a team. Yeah, I mean, he uh, people point out he's he's a Hall of Famer. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yep. that's tough to do as a GM. There's, I, I don't think there's a ton of Hall of Fame GMs out there, so got to give them credit. It's just, you know, Tigers fans, I think, are feeling a little spiteful. Yeah, and I, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, considering what he's done, I mean, he, you look at the architect of – start with him being one of the youngest general managers in the major leagues with the White Sox in the 80s. He built a White Sox team that was able to be somewhat successful in the, in the 80s. And then with the Expos making – I mean – did he learn from the Randy Johnson for Mark Langston trade? Absolutely. But, I mean, in terms of, like, but look what he did with the Marlins and was able to turn around. Then when he slash, he left the Marlins in decent shape to go and make a run in 2003. I mean, he gets more. He should get more credit for that 2003 team. And then he did with the Tigers. But the Red Sox work himself. Dombrowski knows what he's doing, and Boston is going to be set up for a little while, too. And the run to the World Series this year 
has been impressive. So uh, you can find Michael, by the way, you can find Michael at Boston Sports Tap. Dot Boston on or excuse me Boston Sports on Tap dot com. Follow, follow him on Twitter at M Travers B S O T uh, under a uh, small O and then the big T. So I know for you Detroit Tiger fans out there, you're probably thinking Roger, why you're gonna tell me to follow a Boston fan? But they they do a good, <laughs> they do good work over there. It's uh it's not it's not slap happy over there. It's uh. Very absolutely. good. Absolutely. Listen to this conversation, and, and you'll want to follow him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, we take a real, a realistic view. You know, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't drink all the Kool Aid uh, that is Boston sports, but uh, you know, try and keep it real. Yeah, and especially uh, in episode uh, eighty nine, uh, when <laughs> Bill and Matt. I mean, I, like honestly, that was, like I said, I, I, I respect how you guys do go about it because we're the same way. We, we, a lot of people think we're too negative about the Tigers sometimes, and I, I, I'm just keeping it real. I don't know what else you want me to tell you. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, giving me the chance to come on. It was fun. All right. Thanks, Mike. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, we'll see you guys. See ya. Do you love pop culture? Discussions about pop culture? Ranking and rating treasured pieces of that shared culture against each other? I I mean, I do think Flea's a good bass player. He does what he does very well. And like I said, he's he's a he's like a rock star, you know. He's eccentric. What is so funny? What I just didn't like? know he talks so long about flea. I, I didn't know anybody had I mean, so many just, feelings. I do. So many I feelings. I got feelings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Music, movies, television, food, sports, pro wrestling. We are the determination of what is over or underrated across all fields of greater cultural consumption. Subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, or visit us at SportsRadioDetroit.com. Over under fair. Your final word in pop culture relevance. All right, welcome back to the last segment here of Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Thanks to Michael Travers of BostonSportsOnTap.com for joining us. And that was a very good conversation, and Chris and I were talking right before we uh, started the this, this segment how sometimes with guests it takes us a minute to gel, but I thought Michael was a really came on, did his thing, and was really well done. And uh, we, we sent over a prep sheet because we're, we're doing prep sheets and been a lot more organized about that, and uh, I think he appreciated the effort. So, Michael... And, and and again, if you were, if you like the Red Sox, whether you like the Red Sox or not, if you like sports in general, check out Boston Sports on Tap dot com. Really good website. Really like the way they conduct their business. And a lot of podcasts, even locally, sometimes get a little too slappy. And those guys keep it real, so I uh, I appreciate that. So um, yeah, I thought I thought he was great. Good information. Uh, you know, good good insight. Not caught off guard by anything at all. So yeah, it was, it was good talking baseball with another baseball person. Yeah, especially the the Dave Dombrowski stuff that and Kurt Menzing, uh, former writer for Bless You Boys, who's doing the kind of freelancing, did a really good article about Dombrowski's legacy here. And and I think Kurt mentioned it best. And I think the fact that Dombrowski was able to bring the, the the success the Tigers have never had even in their franchise history. If you think about it, the run. I mean, outside of like, let's look at the run in the eighties. Okay. If the wild card existed, it would be a different story. But the Tigers made two postseason trips in 84 and 87. They were heavily favored to do more than they did in the 80s and never really amounted to much. And it was a run of probably, I mean, Sparky Anderson came and delivered on his promise of within five years, or was it four or five years that we won a World Series. But if you look at attainable success down the road, after 89, the Tigers were a mess until Dombrowski came back. Or did Ray Dombrowski came here uh, as the GM took over? Yeah, he he made the Tigers a good team. There's no debate about that, and, and did it for like a decade. And he managed to rebuild on the fly there in 2010 with the the Austin Jackson Max Scherzer deal, which is something you rarely see teams do and pull it off at least. 
Um, he's a damn good GM, and he gave the Tigers a lot of good years, and it just didn't work out. So Yeah, I mean, and again, what's yet to be seen about Brad Ausmus is what happens to Cal, what he does with Anaheim. Well, speaking of Anaheim, real quick before we get to your idea to save baseball, it's interesting that they Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, was talking, and I, I saw this story last week and thought it was interesting that he was saying he was committed to Anaheim, and now just such a giant mess to get a new stadium for the Angels, apparently, and... They rejected, I believe the uh, city of Anaheim rejected their uh, request to put in a new scoreboard. So, I don't know, Chris. It might might look like they might head into Vegas or I'm not sure what they're going to be doing. But I remember the the city of Anaheim tried suing because they renamed themselves the the Los Angeles Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And they sued and they they lost and they lost this money. So, it's a bitter battle in Anaheim right now. Yeah, they were apparently Moreno really wants to move to a California city that I've not heard of, <laughs> um, but it's, it's pretty close. It's just one of those suburbs of L.A., I guess. But yeah, it's ugly, man. We've talked before about it's just weird when these billionaires try to like extort cities to get better facilities so they can make more money. And and to I think to Anaheim's credit, they're like no. And now on the other hand, it, that is uh, I think like the third or fourth oldest stadium in, in baseball. Yeah, it it's been built. renovated a ton, but uh, I'm sure there's stuff they want in there that they don't have. Yeah, it was built, I think, in 64-65. What's interesting, too, is Moreno is the second wealthiest owner in all of baseball. Not talked about yeah. enough. So he, he, his estimated worth, I forgot how much his estimated worth was, but it was ridiculous. So uh, without further ado, Chris, um, so you, you, it seemed like you were sleeping in a, and it just came to you in a dream about saving baseball. <laughs> like this, It was so funny because you, no. you, you, you texted me, I'm like... All right, call, you know, call me, uh, tickle me impressed here. What is what is this idea? Let's see. Let's see what I said to you, just real quick, because, uh, um, yeah, and I don't, uh, let's see. Because originally yeah, I, I randomly sent you a message. I said, we doing a show this week. I come up with a completely batshit way to help in the problems that nobody keeps talking about. <laughs> Um, because originally I wasn't going to, I wasn't sure if I was going to do a show because we have a mega podcast next week. We have... Some guests that I cannot say we have we're confirming with our uh, our agent and manager. I, I'm going to just say Mark's our agent at this point. It seems like uh, uh, Mark <laughs> yeah. is uh, right now constructing probably one of the best uh, podcast lineups we've ever had. But more on that later, or more on that as we get some names. But uh, yeah, I, w- I thought we we're going to take a week off before that. But and then I thought it should take about like oh, there's probably some stuff we could cover. But Chris, yeah, when he texted me that, I was like, no, I'm, I'm game. I'm game. Yeah, this is kind of straight out of the old uh, Bad Hop playbook where we, we said, uh, you know, there was one episode where we were trying to come up with ridiculous rules. And, you know, I always talk about moats in the outfield instead of the warning track. But I, <laughs> so I start off by saying, obviously, this is absurd. It's never going to happen. And I actually don't believe in the problems that Major League Baseball keeps talking about. Like, I don't see them as problems. Now, there might be an attendance and ratings issue. And um, what I've suggested here is not going to fix that. I don't think uh, maybe it will. Um, but but what I'm talking about here is what you know, Major League Baseball keeps talking about, complaining about like the lack of balls in play. You know, we kept kept on those stats about more strikeouts than hits this year, and you know the length of games and stuff like that. So uh, it, it just it's to me it sounds like Major League Baseball is upset that players are smarter now. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was just mentioning like in the NBA has completely changed over the last five or six years, where everybody realizes now that the the best way to play is to shoot a lot of threes and make a lot of layups and dunks. Like those are the best shots. Um, and, and so I, I'm sure there are some 
NBA old-timers out there who are decrying the lack of the mid-range jumper or the post-up game, but it's not really conducive to winning. And, and baseball hitters have discovered that you know, the best way to score runs is to get on base and to hit for power. And if you have to sacrifice some contact and strike out a little bit more for that, it's fine. So, But Major League Baseball doesn't seem to like that. So how do you fix that? Uh, well, to do that, you have to incentivize making contact and de-incentivize strikeouts so my solution is fractional runs <laughs> um so yeah again that shit i told you and i this will never happen but it's just an idea so it, using this system homers home runs are still one run run scoring is still the same except things that you do now actually count for runs so a single is worth 0.2 runs no matter what it's on the board a double is 0.4, a triple is 0.6 runs. Uh, and so you, you add that to any other regular runs you, you would get. So like if you've got a basis clearing triple, you get the three runs that scored plus the 0.6. So now it's a 3.6 run triple. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but then at the same time, you get 0.1 run for a walk. So it's less than a hit. A walk isn't as good as a hit anymore. Uh, and the same goes, you 0.1 run for, for a hit by pitch or catcher's interference. And if you reach on an error, it's 0.2 times whatever amount of bases you get. So if it's a three-base error, it's 0.6. It's like a triple because you can't, you couldn't have official scorers deciding a game because uh, you know the, the the difference in the hit and error value. Um, and then the key here is that strikeouts are worth negative 0.1 runs, so they actually take runs from you. Um, <laughs> so if you if you got if you got all that, they're basically point values for for the major plays in baseball. There's nothing you don't deal with stolen bases or sacrifices or anything like that. It's just for putting the ball in play and in walking and striking out. So wait 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 wait. Um, can we make bunts negative so that way people stop bitching about bunts and small ball? I, I love to see that. I, I, I mean, it's that. possible. I mean, there there are a lot of different wrinkles you could throw into this. I'll <laughs> mention one uh, one that I thought of a little bit later. Um, so obviously, this is ridiculous. Would never happen. I, I call it the Brown scoring system or the BS. <laughs> um, and so I'll just get some of the cons out of the way, the, the cons, the negatives of the system like this. There's math involved. Everybody hates math. Nobody wants to do math. It'd be confusing. Fans, it, casual fans would be like, what the hell's going on? Why are there you know, decimal points on the scoreboard? Speaking of scoreboards, you're talking millions of dollars in scoreboard renovations to have like, you know, 7.6 runs. <laughs> um, <laughs> the... Uh, and, and it might actually lead to more strikeouts because what you have here is uh, pitchers actually being, you know, the, the hitters are disincentivized to strike out, but the pitchers are incentivized. You know, they're, they're taking runs off the board by striking you out. Um, and, uh, yeah, so those, those are all negatives. And, and also, this, this um, sort of goes without saying that, that the idea involves – people thinking that batters aren't trying to hit the ball right now uh, rather than pitchers are just really damn good. And that's why strikeouts are up. And I think it's probably more the latter than the former, but still, but those are the negatives. We'll get them out of the way. How about the positives? This is what I see are the positives. You're likely to get more balls in play uh, that now result in real value because, Hey man, we only need 0.1 run. Let me get a single and win this game you know, with your 0.2 runs. Uh, there is, uh, you're probably going to lessen the effect of cluster luck 
which we've talked about before, you know, so so fewer yeah. games where like the Tigers lose four to one, even though they out hit a team ten to three. You know, they just happen to give up like a grand slam or a three run homer. Uh, there'd probably be less of that because of the value of other plays. Now, whether that's a good or bad thing, who knows? I mean, it probably would even out, but uh, sometimes it feels unfair. Um, there'd probably be fewer walks in general and, and, and definitely fewer intentional walks because teams aren't just going to go add some runs for you for the most part. And there would almost certainly be fewer extra inning games. You're just because there'd be more variance in the scores. Uh, you know, you, it could be a tie game going to the ninth and you strike out three guys and you win. Um, actually, you should, yeah. So, uh, and what else to find? And then, the, like I said, there'd be a ton more high leverage situations in late innings where it's like, oh man, all they need is a double to win. A single won't do it. You know, you, you get a hit to the outfield. Is he going to push it and try to go to second to win the game? Um, and uh, yeah, there, there's so potential walk-offs abound. So anyway, like I said, it's ridiculous. You're, you're putting all these different numbers in and uh, it would make things crazy. But I also think that these complaints are ridiculous. The complaints from Major League Baseball about the game. So, you know, you have ridiculous complaints. You're going to get ridiculous solutions. You know, I had my friend suggested that you, you let the game play out. And then whoever ended up with more strikeouts on offense loses a run at the end of the game. And it's like, well, that's absurd. But again absurd complaints get absurd uh, suggestions and the one when you asked like you know could we disincentivize bunting here's one i thought of uh penalize a team like 0.2 runs for pitching changes or a mid-inning pitching change or something like that you know like hey you, you want to speed up the game make changing pitchers cost cost you um it's a radical radical thing it, it will never happen but uh, like I said, it was just something I thought of. It was fun. And what, one thing I like about it is you can, even if this has never happened, you could take it and apply it to every game ever to see what would happen. Um, just, you know, it's a pretty simple formula. Somebody could write a really easy program and look at every game ever and see what would happen. I actually, I looked at a handful just for fun. So sometimes it won't change much of anything. Like game five of the World Series, the Red Sox won five to one. Using this method, it's uh, the final score was 5.3 to 0.9. Pretty close. You could even round round up and round down to make the final scores look fine for the most part, you know. Um, but then I was looking for an example of, of a game that a team would have won that they otherwise, you know, that they lost. And, and all I had to do was look at the third Tigers game of the year last season, which you might remember vaguely. It was against the Pirates, and they lost 8-6 to six despite getting more hits, more uh, extra base hits, and fewer strikeouts than the Pirates. So, and this is, I'm just going to walk you through what would have happened in this game. The, the, the Tigers lost 8-6 to six, um, with the BS system. Instead of trailing 8-4 heading into the ninth, the Tigers would, would have been down 7.9 to 6.3. Still a deficit. But, uh, but they move from 6.3 to 6.5 when Mikey Montek leads off with a single. And then they tie it on the next play on an RBI double from Jamer Candelero because it scores Matuk, so that's one run. And then the double is worth 0.4, so it goes from 6.5 to 7.9. You're tied at 7.9. But the next play, um, there's a strikeout, and suddenly the Tigers are losing again, 7.9 to 7.8. Uh, and and, but after that, Miguel Cabrera hits an RBI double. 
Now, in that the real game, it made it eight to six, which would end up being the final score. With this new system that puts the Tigers up nine point two to seven point nine, and it's a walk off winner. And uh, I don't know. It's just uh, I think it would be more exciting that way. And then the the final thing that I'm into about this is the potential for negative run scores, which uh, might not be exciting to a lot of people. But I was looking. I decided to go back and look at the the famous Kerry Wood game. You know, was it 1998, the 20 strikeout game against the Astros? Yeah, yeah, in, in the Astros. So the Cubs ended up winning that game two to nothing. With with the BS system, the final score in that game was 3.2 to negative 1.7. And I say, you know what? If you strike out 20 times in a game, you deserve negative runs. Yeah, I mean they have negative WAR, so why not? Yeah, so there you go. That is the the Chris Brown complete batshit, never going to happen way to alter baseball without moving the mound and banning shifts and stuff like that. You know, what? So. I, you know, out of the BS scoring system, Chris, I, a possibility that a wrinkle that you may add that I think would be good and I think it could take away a run or mm-hmm. add a run is outfield assists. Think about it this way. If you gun down somebody, that should be a run. Mm-hmm. You think? I mean, like, I, I would give, like, a half a run for that because, I mean, if somebody for, like, Yasuo Puig, for example, just launching one from right field to home is quite the feat. And I think defense, that would help with defensive runs saved. So if you defensive runs saved, you get earned a run for that perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I think you could work in a way. I mean, obviously, this is all theoretical. Right. Um, you could work in a way. It, you know, you're already kind of saving a run by keeping the regular run off the board. But there's a way, I suppose, where you could award runs for players who move up. Like I mentioned Right now, it doesn't have any, you know, way to add runs for stolen bases or moving up on a sacrifice fly or something like that. But there be there could be a way where you would award run for that and take a run away if uh, if you get caught or thrown out on the bases to make it, you know, a little bit more fraught. And that would include uh, outfield assists. So I don't know. There's a thousand different ways to to do this, and like I said, a thousand different ways this will never happen. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just. I like it. It's interesting. It's different. It's out of the yeah, box. Yeah, but I didn't tell you what it was. But, you know, I mean, golf has the modified Stableford system that is, like, used in one tournament. Give me a, give me a baseball tournament with the modified Brown system. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, after, I, I, see, I'm saying my, my, my whole point was after hearing that, I go, you know what, I could rally around that a little bit because it rallies into, here. okay, here's why. Because they looked at the final ratings of the, that came out yesterday of the World Series, and it was pretty bad. According to Paulson of the Sports Media Watch, ratings for the World Series as a whole were the third worst on record since 1972, and the Fox only, not, so not streaming viewership, was the fourth lowest on record. So they averaged an 8.3 rating and 14.3 million viewers on Fox, down 22% ratings and 25% in viewership from the Astros-Dodgers last year, and down 37 47% respectively from the Cubs and Indians the prior year, which both gave, I mean, both series went seven games. But it, the the all-time low was the Giants and Tigers in 2012. Uh, the 2014 one was the second lowest. The Fox-only audience ranks the fourth smallest World Series ahead of the 2014-2012 and the 2008 Phillies and Rays. Um, Fox platforms weren't available, so... Uh, one of the reasons why they, they blamed the decline was a five-game series, and they said that series do improve as more games go on. Um, mm-hmm. 
the streaming also kind of plays a part of it too. The the the, the broadcasters' discussions. And look, I will say this: watching the TBS, Ron Darling and the other gentlemen, I thought they did a pretty good job. I actually though that yeah. was my favorite of all the postseason games I watched. Those were my favorite. And so, what's interesting though is that the game three peaked among all audiences, including kids two to eleven and teens twelve to seven around eleven thirty. 11.30, between 11.30 and midnight uh, during Game 3 and recorded a higher average audience, 14.3 million viewers between 11 and 2 a.m. So this whole bullshit about, oh, the game's taking so long, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Games. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah well, that, that tells you, I mean, people people love the the drama of high-leverage situations in baseball. It's and, and I've talked about it before. You can't compare it to anything except maybe you play off hockey. When you're in the game or gives a team a chance, a huge chance of victory, it's it's every single pitch, every single play is meaningful. Um, yeah, and and uh, it, I I get why they don't want 19 inning games in like May. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and and I don't think anybody really wants 19 inning games, but it's sure as hell kind of fun every now and then. Was interesting too, and and I, I'm glad. And this, I got this information from awfulannouncing.com. But what they, what I loved is that they were making like the East Coast. They were saying that we're, what's hurting rates, uh, hurting ratings. What the the stats I was mentioning, because Chris Russo, what are you nuts? Uh, Mad Dog Russo <laughs> was saying that games um, running late on the East Coast is what hurting it's hurting ratings. In reality, no, it's not. And that's a, to me, it's always been a bullshit theory. Anyways, people are gonna watch if they were gonna really. Watch something, they'll stay up and watch it. Is case in point here. I, I mean, I I could not physically stay up and watch that huge game, but still, nevertheless, I digress. But it's still, it was it, even it, for for Fox. Um, they're talking about this is not a sky falling scenario because a lot of the revenue from baseball comes from local regular season TVs, mm-hmm. which across the board, according to awful announcing, actually rose two two percentage points this year. So yeah, we we've discussed this before. It's it's baseball is is not the national pastime anymore. It, it, it treating it as such, or you know, complaining about the downfall of baseball by pointing to those numbers isn't uh, really indicative of the, the the strength of the game. Now the average age of fans is pretty old compared to other sports, but uh, I don't think baseball's in any serious trouble because local markets are still huge. I mean, people still tuned into FSD, I think, to watch a ton of games, because what else you get to do every night in the summer? And then people love baseball, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I don't think there's a real problem, but if Major League Baseball wants to fix, they can call me. Yeah, I think the BS system, you can get that patent and make a lot of money and, uh, you know, there you go. Retire to Boca Raton. <laughs> Del Boca Vista. Boca Vista, have your dinner at 4 o'clock. Yeah. There you go. Early bird. Really bird. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, no. And so uh, well, let us never discuss this again. <laughs> <laughs> we have an audio record, Chris. Uh, Although, it's funny. I will I will probably put this out on Twitter tomorrow and get the derision, and I will keep track of games like this all year long just for the hell of it. For the, for the record, I suck with math with fractions. I'm terrible at math with fractions. It was my – my stop in math in high school stopped right there. So uh, that's where I landed. When, when he came into math with fractions, I'm like, I, I – don't know what this will ever serve a point. Now I do. Now, now at my age, being my, at my age, this is the first time where math with fractions would have came in hand. I'm like, crap. If I want to only know about the BS system, 
I'd be ahead of the game and being a stat guy for baseball. Yeah, I mean, technically, it's not really, you know, I mean, they, they are fractions, but it's decimals. Um, but, yeah, I didn't want to do, like, one quarter and one half. Because <laughs> I didn't want to go to three digits. I don't want to be scoring. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, never, nevertheless. So, uh, Rod, thanks. Thank you for listening to Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioTroit.com. Uh, Matt and – I forgot the gentleman's name, but Matt, your gift card is on the way. I sent it out today, so I apologize for it being late. It was quite a weekend, as uh, Chris can attest to. And uh, we have a cap – we have a Lids gift card, too, for our fan downriver. So, uh, actually, he lives he lives nearby. So, uh, I'll be, that's actually going out this weekend. So, I apologize for being a little delayed with that. But it's been – with high school football ending – Actually, we start hockey here in a couple of weeks. So I'll be doing color and uh, some play-by-play for Livonia Stevenson hockey. As now, Chris, that goes from November to March, so that's going to be every Friday and Saturday nights. So that'll be quite. The, uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. So um, got that. We have the mega podcast coming up next week. Details to come. I will say this: Mark is setting up quite the lineup. Uh, some old friends you might have heard before. We're just confirming one more guest who is out of the country at the moment. And if that happens, uh, we'll be probably the biggest Tiger. This is a fall version of the mega podcast that we had back in the spring. And hopefully we'll get to do that again. As Yeah, uh, yeah we have some guests coming up uh, that Mark's lining up. So, again, Mark, our agent manager, thank you uh, for doing, getting that done. Uh, so check us out on iTunes, Tigers SRD. Yeah, for sure. Subscribe to us on Podbeam, iTunes, Google Google. Uh, podcast, Stitchler, tune in wherever you can find your fine podcast and uh, leave us a review, leave us a comment, let us know what you think really appreciate it and enjoy you the rest of your week and we'll be back next week like I said, we'll announce dates and stuff for the Mega Podcast and uh, again, thanks to Mike Travers Michael, excuse me, Michael Travers of Boston Sports on, top, on or Boston Sports on Tap for joining us this evening we'll see you <laughs>